What's up, my people? Welcome to Fellowship Bible Church's Sermon Spotlight, where we're coming at you each and every week with a fresh weekend to debrief in an effort to send biblical truth. What better way to do that than by the power of conversation? I'm one of your hosts, Caleb Pearson. Joining me again in the host spotlight, Miss Rose Locke. Rose, how are you? I'm doing great. Good. Thank you. Yeah. Excited about the new ministry year. And oh, it's so exciting. You and I both got new whiteboards. We very did get new whiteboards. It was very exciting for me. A lot of fun me. things happening. Yeah. Uh, He's back with us. Uh, we know you love him, uh, Mark Carey. Mark, how you doing, my friend? Good. Hey, thanks for being here, man. You're awesome. You survived the uh, the toddlers. Oh room. yeah. Oh, that's yeah. right. Serving. I heard it. I heard that word. Serving in the toddlers for parents summit. That's right. One yeah. of them was our little grandson. So. Oh, that's right. Cool. Because he was the best of them all. So Obviously. Just a bunch of him. Right. Yeah. It was funny. Hannah was across the hall from you with oh, a different yeah. age group, but she was like, it was so funny hearing hearing Mark Carey try to discipline all these kids and try to get them to do what they want to do. So yeah. Yeah, I, I just think, settled on preaching the sermon. They all went to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was super fun, actually, about the parent summit. Like I was in the two-year-old room, which I haven't been, I haven't been serving in the two-year-old room in, you know. 20 years, probably. It was just fun to be in a different wing of the building, to mm -hmm. see different people that I don't usually see, actually to meet new people that I have never met before. Yep. And um, it was really fun for me to see like a lot of the two-year-olds, their parents are my daughter's peers, which was mm -hmm. really fun for me to think of them as the parents yeah, and wild. to see the next generation coming up. And I don't know, I thought it was great. And to see you over there, Mark, and Caleb, I saw you over there. And uh, it's just- Really yeah, cool. Yeah. yeah. And that sentiment was shared across a lot of the parents who came. So thank you for coming to the Parent Summit. People were meeting people they would have otherwise never met. So yeah, it's an encouragement. But guys, let's jump into a, a Sunday in review here, Rose. I'll come your way first as okay. we're continuing through Acts. It kind of feels like there's a light at the end of the tunnel of this sermon series. It's crazy to think as we push towards Missions Week and get closer to the end. It, it, at least to me, it feels like the gospel's triumphing and it's getting bigger, bigger, grander and the way Luke writes it, I'm appreciating that it, it is growing in scale. Um, but yeah. Rose, what were some things? Well, I, I was, as I was thinking through being here today and I was thinking through a narrative as opposed to the letters of Paul where we kind of get a lot of commands, you know, Mark, you, you referred to a bunch of those letters, you know, like, and Philippians came to my mind earlier than you even brought it up because Philippians came to my mind when Paul um, was talking about, um, that he would rather, you were talking about that, that Paul would rather serve Christ than basically live, right? And so Philippians came to my mind, you know, to live as Christ, to die as gain in that context. And so I'm enjoying watching how living by what Paul says in the letters really brings about the triumph of the gospel. And so I'm enjoying that, like, here is an applicational story mm -hmm. that when you actually put the things that were taught in God's word into practice, this is the result in people's lives. And, so. and isn't it neat to see that these same people could read Paul's letters and know this guy knows what he's talking about because he lived it. Okay? Yes. It wasn't just something, a, a pious platitude he was sharing. He had his life as, a, as an example. Yeah. He really did live it. Yeah. And then the other thing, when you were talking about the, the we and the fact that Luke was present, and you were talking about that in combination with the, with the context of valuing the body of believers themselves, it reminded me, Mark, of your sermon series in Luke. So if people want to go back and look some of that up, what year was that, Mark? Mm, Do you remember? I want to say 2013, but 
Okay. A decade. A decade. <laughs> really? So wow. I, I think it might have been 2012 and 2013. Wow. But it reminded me of that series yeah. because it reminded me of one of the emphasis that at least I got out of that series was the idea of discipleship and discipleship um, across a wide range of people. Because Luke is the one who talks about the women, right? Luke is the one who talks about the children. Luke is the one who talks about the people who are outside what you would consider the core of Judaism. Yes. So Luke is the one who talks about really the gospel being for everyone in the context of Jesus's life, sort of. And so I felt like that I don't know. It just it just reminded me of who Luke was a per- as a person and how these guys lived out these ideas, emphasizing the value of the body of Christ, emphasizing that living for Christ is gain. Um, I don't know. I just the idea of how God uses people, Philip and even Agabus, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, doing all of his prophesying. Because one of the questions I wrote down was that bizarre illustration he does with the whole. Um, belts and his wrists and ankles, you know, maybe that wasn't for Paul. Maybe that was for the benefit of the other people who were there because Paul already knew what God was calling him to do. Right. Mm -hmm. And so maybe he's doing it not for Paul, (laughs) but for the other people who are there who are seeing the choices that Paul then makes and seeing how Paul lives out his life primarily for Christ. Well, it did did arouse a really visceral response in the next verse where where Luke says, we <laughs> After they saw Agabus do that, it yeah. was like, "Good night. It's this is real, Paul. Don't go there." So it was. Uh, but then they would say, "Will the, the, will of the, Lord the will of done. the Lord be done?" Right? Which is Paul showing that you know, just because we're going to face fiery trials, when through fiery trials, right? Um, that that we're still going to live for Christ primarily. Yeah. So. One thing I wanted to bring up, Rose, you alluded to it earlier, this idea of appreciating Paul's letters because of the book of Acts. I remember as a, a late teen, early young adult, like diving into Paul's letters or, or having teaching opportunities through those epistles. And I failed to consider the fact that if I want to learn more about Paul's background, why don't I just try somewhere else in the Bible? You see, I was quick to jump towards resources or you feel like, oh, okay, Paul wrote these letters, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians. If you want to know about the author and know his background, go find a scholarly article, go find a web a web page, so that you can you can get the the seminary take on his background instead of going. Well, there's actually a, a book of the Bible that gives us <laughs> the Bible helps inform the Bible. It's mm-hmm. like, oh wow, who would have thought, right? And so, as we go through that now, and I'm looking back on all those times where I taught through books, I'm like, I could have saved myself a ton of work <laughs> if, if I if I read half a chapter of Acts. You save yourself a ton of money. <laughs> you know, buy all those books. Yeah, uh, but we, we, I think we do that a lot when we find a, a Bible passage or okay, I need to go learn about this. And I don't know. Sometimes, and I think people my age fall victim to this too. We can go to the extra biblical re- resource pretty quickly. Okay, oh, I, I need a commentary. Mm-hmm. But instead, the, the Bible comments on itself the most. And if we can understand that and, and see that come to fruition as we study it, man, what a fun sermon series to, to preach through, to, to learn through, because it, it really does build on itself. And it's it's not rocket science. It's right there between the Gospels and the Epistles. It's and the there, there are so many things. Like we could probably talk for four hours because, Mark, so many of your applications are so... I, I, I have a lot of questions about some of them. But I think that the um, just the living out from day to day, how he lived out the Gospel, mm-hmm. is just amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
it's not lost on any of these passages, but I'm not lost this idea of living out the gospel in the context of trials, of real suffering. And um, Paul was going into the into the lion's den here. He was, and he knew it. All the warnings gave it. And uh, I I do think it's interesting how Luke in twenty chapter twenty one writes of the smooth sailing. We talked about that. <laughs> it seemed that there was you know before there were shipwrecks and this type of but he I mean it's like God is whisking him away fast and furiously but smoothly into the jaws of death potentially uh, and warning him all along the way but he he just um, was steadfast I th- there there is a an interesting study to do sometime and it's, I've read a little bit on it more but the comparison uh, between Jesus's journey to Jerusalem and Paul's journey to Jerusalem there's some really kind of interesting uh, uh, parallels with that. Hmm. There's there's some contrast too. I mean, Jesus died; Paul was set free. But it it was the religious leaders. I mean, there, there's just some just that movement towards Jerusalem. In fact, um, in chapter 21, uh, in that passage, uh, I guess I had it marked in my other Bible, but um, I think like verse 11. Agabus says, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the uh, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind you. Verse 12, we heard this. The local residents begin begging them, don't go to Jerusalem. Uh, verse The very next verse, uh, Paul says, for I'm not, uh, he says, for, for I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem. And then uh, verse 15, after these days, we got ready and started on our way to Jerusalem. And then uh, verse 17, after he arrived in Jerusalem, there, there, that repetition of Jerusalem mm-hmm. over and over again, it's, it, Luke is saying, this is, where, this is where it's at, at Jerusalem. And in the life of Christ, it was, Luke, I think it's Luke's gospel where it says, he set his face like flint to Jerusalem. Um, it, and then there's this emphasis in Luke on the kingdom. We've seen that all through the Bible. Is it now that you're going to restore the kingdom to Jerusalem, to Israel, but in Jerusalem? Jerusalem was the center of it all, where it was going to take place. And how ironic that that's where the triumph of the gospel almost got lost. Because the one who was the great triumpher of the gospel was bound, almost killed. But, But we close Luke in chapter 28, or Acts in chapter 28 with Paul in Rome, continue to teach about the coming kingdom. So the, it's left there, but there's some interesting things more than we can ever preach on when it talks about that focus on Jerusalem. Well, let me ask you this question, if I may. Um, so your first application was that um, um, our ultimate goal in life is not to live comfortably, but to follow Christ completely. And so that was in your application. But then after that, you started talking about the number one problem of the early church, right? And so my question to you is, what is the number one problem of the current church? Is it the same problem? And like, how do you see those two things connecting to one another? You're looking, you're making a face like that's a hard question. question. (laughs) Um, Well, obviously we don't have a problem of Jew and Gentile. And I don't know if we necessarily have a problem. I mean, we're living in a day and age of 
diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's all you hear anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I do think probably one of the biggest problems our country has ever faced is racism, mm-hmm. um, both in, in, in um, uh, African American, uh, Native American. I mean, there's between the church agent now. Yeah, that's right, mm-hmm. and and uh, in this country, I don't think that's an issue. Um, as the prevalent issue that we're we're facing. But you said um, church unity. So church I'm just curious, like you said, you said that the, the number one church, you said the number one problem was church unity. In and I understand church. in the context you were talking about um, Jerusalem, you were talking about the Jews and the Gentiles right. and the unity between those two groups. But like, would you say that one of the big problems in our modern church today is church unity? I, I do. And I do think that, and of course, I didn't have time to develop this, but you can kind of get an idea of what was important to Jesus in his that high priestly prayer. And when he prayed before he was crucified, what did he pray for? That they would be one. He prayed for unity. Um, he said to his disciples in John 30, uh, 13, 35, people will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. I mean, this was on the heart of Jesus. And uh, I, I do think that we drop the ball many times when we when the church doesn't act like the called out unified and and quite frankly you know i think this whole focus on identity politics identity issues is just just does it's 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 satanic at its core because it gets us to focus on who i am my individual rights my identity Mm -hmm. my whatever and not seeing us as this this unique body of Christ that had been called out from every tribe, every nation, every ethnic group. Uh, Paul said in Galatians uh, 3.28, there is no longer slave or free, male and female, because the gospel brings us all together in oneness and unified in Christ. So I, I, mean, I look at Fellowship Bible Church, our local church, and I think there's a lot of unity. But... Uh, you know, I do think it's it's Jesus prayed about it, uh, Paul taught about it, um, and I think its application is far beyond just the first century church. Yeah, and there's something about uh, there is something I've said it before on the podcast. I think there is something like unique about the church and it representing the bride of Christ, like the church itself representing one individual. You know, that is something mysterious that I'm not sure we can ever fully comprehend. But I do think that there is something about creating division in that individual that is um, at the core of Satan trying to destroy. That's right. I mean, what what happens when your own systems, bodily systems, your auto, the autoimmune issues that you starts turning against yourself, it's disease. And, um, yeah, I think uh, when Paul was willing to take the collection from the Gentile saints, that was the point, and go to Jerusalem and wanted to deliver its, its himself uh, that collection from the Gentiles to the Jewish part of the church, that was speaking volumes. It was very much on Paul's heart. And then I quoted from other passages, you know, the Ephesians and Philippians 2 and, and 1 Corinthians about the importance of unity in the body. I really should have included Jesus's prayer, uh, John 17, because that was really foremost in Jesus's mind. So 
um, yeah, I think there's probably a lot more there in terms of Christian unity and local church unity than oh. what we're, that, and we pass over it maybe too quickly. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? What does it really look like? How do we maintain that? You know, we're, we're a big church here and, and people pass each other hallway and, and stuff like that. Or we see each other maybe at the, you know, at the grocery store during the week. And I think I know them. Are, are, are you even fellow Or we've never even met each community? other. Or, right. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, G Jesus unites us. He, he's been doing that. We do, we find ways to divide ourselves. We're very good at it. They were good at it. And <laughs> uh, one of my answers to your question, Rose, would be church unity is the, the issue. But what is dividing us? A, a couple of things. I think I think Christian nationalism is coming to a head a little bit. And this identity politics are older than I am. I'm almost thirty. But there's something about the the landscape today, and that that young people are now stepping into, that are raising the value of their their political prowess and their pursuit of that being the answer are we a, a I, I brought this out several weeks ago in my sermon but a, a christian nation or a nation full of christians like well i don't like that we so easily <laughs> make the word christian an adjective mm -hmm. well you can act that way occasionally or I'm, I'm letting i'm letting what i know about jesus uh motivate my my vote or my 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 hope in blank and and that's hard. And, and when COVID hit and churches had to wrestle with Romans 13 and come up with a decision, mm -hmm. that was, it was called the great sort. All these churches, you could kind of see where they landed. You, you throw the chips out and see where they fall on Christian nationalism yeah. versus just trying to be obedient to God. Look, the, 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 there's nothing new under the sun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I, I'm thinking about the Philippian church and Paul writes to the Philippians in um the first chapter of Philippians, where he talks about um, it's it's a it, it is a type of it's not Christian nationalism, but it certainly here was a Roman colony, and they were very proud mm -hmm. of their Romanish Rome Rome connections as citizens, which by the way it did come in very handy for Paul. Yes, it as did, we, as we'll see. So it wasn't he was not averse to laying that baby down as a trump card. Yeah. Uh, no pun intended, but uh, <laughs> he, but Philippians <laughs> talked about um, Paul kind of slaps their hand mm -hmm. and says, "Our in chapter three, our citizenship is in heaven." Mm -hmm. And so here he writes this letter to people who were very proud of their Roman heritage because they were citizens of Rome, which a lot of cities never had that, and then says, "No, be proud of the fact that you're." Your citizenship is in heaven. Yeah. So, yeah, I, look, you said it, Rose. I mean, the, Satan is alive and well. We're in spiritual warfare. And any way that he can trip us up and cause us to get our focus off the main thing. And the main thing is we have been delivered from the domain of darkness, First Corinthians chapter, or Colossians chapter 1. We've been delivered from the domain of darkness in the kingdom of his beloved son and he has called us to proclaim first peter yeah, peter's writing the same thing to, yeah. to people who scattered abroad and he, he even tells the people the believers you know honor the king and all these things in first peter mm -hmm. but he said we are here to proclaim the excellencies of him who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light therefore be careful how you live among the gentiles so we we can be it does go back to some identity issues we can 
identify ourselves. We want to belong to something, <laughs> right? A kid in inner city Chicago wants to belong to something, so he joins a gang because there's something innate in us born creating the image of God for that relationship and that connection. Well, we've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light to proclaim Christ. We are a new entity, the new man. And that was the trouble in the early church. They didn't get it. We are Paul, we are Apollos, or we are Jew, Jew we're we are Romans. We're Romans, we're this. And it was like, look, I, I'm gonna collect this money from Gentile. I'm gonna go into the jaws of death and give it to the Jerusalem believers. And it's gonna be a testimony to those guys that we are one. And um, it's a heart posture thing. It's a, if, if you want to find division, you will. We could sit here and come up with so sure. many differences between each other, or we could say, okay, what what is the unifying factor, and how can the the worship experience or the teaching experience of our spiritual walk be founded on on the one common denominator of Jesus and what what He means for us? Yeah. I think it's easy for yeah. churches to pick something else. We're gonna we're gonna unify and rally around this thing, and then that yeah. spins them off. Church into governments, or we're gonna sure. rally around, mm-hmm. you know whatever legalistic yeah, standards yeah, right. or yeah and i think the next week into 22 or 23 in there we're going to see something similar because as paul it gets into jerusalem um it well we found it chapter 15 as well it's some of the the christian the the believing community of judea you know the jews that were believing community they were devout in the law and they had a real problem with Paul. And now Paul was in town. And so James and the leaders are saying, we've got to, you know, you got to kind of, I don't know if they were saying you got to cool your jets here, Paul, a little bit and, and take this vow and show how Jewish you are. You know, it's a, it'll be another fun thing to talk about next week. But yeah, uh, nice. um, yeah we, we have to see ourselves in light of the cross, in light of the gospel and not in light of earthly uh, uh, ways that we um, can identify. And will you let me ask another question then? Because then I'm trying to you're fourth. And- <laughs> Sorry. He's got a new I have several. Like, oh, <laughs> but, but your fourth point related to um, including children in the life of the oh, church yeah. then speaks to like, how do we take the, so, so we're all state, we're all sitting here. We're nodding our heads. Mm-hmm. We've like, you know, we're, we're in agreement about these things, but how do we pass that on to the next generation, particularly inside a culture that you referred to earlier, Caleb, that has so much division and so much like we're so self-focused that teaching them how to be Christ-focused and community-focused can be a major challenge. So that's kind of the next, yeah. you know, appli- it was your application point, Mark, but right. it is a legitimate, it's not as easy as what you said. Yeah, no. <laughs> I think first and foremost, it starts with a good ecclesiology. Mm-hmm. You, good theology has to underpin all our activities. What a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So why are people not that committed to the church and, and are so busy and, and church becomes in third place, fifth place, tenth place sometimes in life? Because they have lousy ecclesiology. Their theology is messed up. Yeah. So do you want to define ecclesiology for someone who might be listening who doesn't understand? It's it's the doctrine of the church. It's how it's God's perspective on this new entity, this new man, this body of Christ that Paul was willing to give his life 
for in terms of the unity. So if we don't have a good ecclesiology, a good doctrine of the church, well, then we're going to, you know, we're, we're going to do what, what uh, we think is best. So I think it starts there. How do we do that? Well, we study the scriptures. We have classes. We teach it. We, we communicate it. We call each other to it. Uh, we keep raising the value of, let's say, community groups, and we keep raising the value of, of participation in the life of the, of the well, body. Well, and I just loved what you, like, I, I mean, I really loved you talking about your memories as a child mm -hmm. and how vital and important they are. And I know Caleb has shared in his sermons very publicly his memories of sitting in your sermons, Mark, when he was a child. Or, the ones I didn't fall asleep. You know, the ones that had videos, right? Remember? And I'm, and I'm glad you had at least three of those <laughs> in 29 years. Um, and, and I, like, I remember when you shared laying on the floor, I remember laying on the floor of a Bible study and having some like coloring, like you rolled it out, coloring paper. And the man is literally over my head teaching the adults from God's word. And I'm laying on the floor coloring at the same you, time. You actually had coloring paper? I did. I, I had color. You didn't get a coloring I mean, paper? I was at least so dedicated. <laughs> I had nothing. I had no colors, no nothing. I just laid there, but I was dedicated. But I just mean the value the value of having our children serve yes. with us. You know, you talked about the family that cleans out the coffee pots here, yes. you know, and they bring their kids and they do it with their kids. The value of having our children experience some of these things, obviously at appropriate times sure. we don't want them to always sleep we don't want them to think of church as a place they go to sleep all the time but just having them participate with us in worship in our community groups and in our home and those kinds of things i just think i i'm i'm just such an advocate for the intergenerational yeah. because i can't learn from an older woman if i don't know an older woman and i don't spend time with her and i cannot teach or disciple a younger woman if i don't have younger women in my life either so to me the intergenerational nature of worship and living life is really valuable and important. And I appreciated you bringing that application out. Funny, quick story. Um, Scott, my Scott Santmire's and a son, Joel, uh, when he was a little kid, they were driving to church one day and John <laughs> Morrison's youngest son, James, you know, then they were about the same age, I think. And they, you know, played together. They were, you know, really young and they were going to, to church or the, or, no, the Morrison's were coming over to Santmire's home or something like that. And little Joel said, James, oh, is that is that the boy who lives at church too? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny because they were so involved in the life yeah, of the church. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But no, I, I and I realize it, there, it, there's a certain amount of discipline involved in having to do that, and I I realize these are different times and different, uh, but but the church. I just think we've we've lowered the the value mm -hmm. of the church of the body of Christ, mm -hmm. and um, how to regain that um, is, is something I think that's important for elders to discuss. I think it's important for ministry leaders to discuss. Yeah. And and um, I, I mean I'm really excited about some of the things that I've seen just inside our worship services. Um, like last Palm Sunday, I think one of my favorite worship services of the last, let's call it the ministry year, you know, September mm -hmm. through May-ish, um, one of my favorite worship services was Palm Sunday. And that was the first time that we oh, ever yes. here attempted to have all of our kids, and we're talking like 100 elementary school kids 
in the worship services with us during the music time, participating with us. So it was a, a, a really intergenerational moment. And I thought, I, it, to me, it was really beautiful. And I appreciate it. I mean, it took a lot of work from the children's ministry to, to enable that to happen. Um, but I just thought it was a great thing to have yeah. parents because I think- You've I been think a, a great champion of that. Parents, yeah. do, I think parents sometimes interact with material, and I'm an artist, right? So I'll say art. Parents interact with material and art differently when their children are present than they do when their children are not present. And That's I think good. it's a good thing for those parents, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And the same thing with the children. Things that the children would not access if their parents weren't there, um, they can access because their parents are there to help guide them through it. And so I'm excited because it is in our ministry plans for this year to have a couple times where the, the younger good. students do come and participate in the worship services with us. Mm -hmm. Because I think, Mark, that, that is a, that's a practical way mm -hmm. that we as a church ministry team can implement some of these applications yeah. that you're as alluding long as to. They lead by the sermon. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, um, I, I think also, um, the caution was, and I had someone chat with me afterwards, uh, after one of the services on this, someone came up to me and says, we did all of those things with our kids, but my son has walked away from the Lord. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, that's painful. I mean, this is not a, like a, here it is. Cure all for you. You do this. Bring your kids to church, and and you know they'll. No, you know it, that's not. That's just not how it works. But but at the same time, we stand before God and we're going to give an account, even as parents, for uh, how we disciple. We we'll use, right. we'll use the word disciple. disciple because just like you, I mean, the church has been really great about encouraging us to find other believers to disciple. But I know as a mom that my primary field of discipleship, my primary, and God's word makes it very clear, they'll be saved through their childbirth, right? That my primary place of discipleship and leadership is of those children in my home. Mm -hmm. So just like we could disciple a younger believer for a very long time, and that younger believer could still walk away from the Lord. So the discipleship inside the home is no different than that. You have to trust the Holy Spirit with your children and what he's right. doing and their story before God and all those, all those same things in any other kind of discipleship right. that we trust him That's for. Right. So let me ask the second part of the question. Your question was, how do we practically build that? I said, number one, I think we've got to build a good ecclesiology. People have to understand the value of the local church. Second of all, I think people not only have to understand the value of the church, they have to experience the value of the church. Mm -hmm. So we have to continue to call people and provide people the experiences like small group involvement, like serving in capacities. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the points too in, in the, the applicational points is that Paul Paul did things in community. So he had uh, Secundus and Sopater and Aristarchus and Tictacus and these guys, Timothy, you know, they, he was surrounded by this. That he sought out it was a key concept in, in that person when they went to Tyre. They didn't know where the believers were, but they knew they were there somewhere. Mm -hmm. So they looked for yes. them, they sought them out. Why? Because the experience of body life was valuable. 
it was it was valuable. Well, and it makes me think about one of the things my husband and I value tremendously, and he will he will um, agree with this. Shout out is, to Roger. Yeah, shout out to Roger. Um, that we value when we're on vacation or out of mm. town. One of the joys of our life is to find a body of believers and worship with them. And it is it is just a joy and a pleasure. And I mean, we have been to churches with terrible music. I'll just say it that way. I mean, the music is awful, but we get to worship the Lord with the body of believers that we haven't yeah. known. We've been to churches that are incredibly unwelcoming. Like we went to, we went to a church this summer and um, we were on our way back from the beach. And what we had decided to do was to drive until 10 o'clock. And at 10 o'clock, wherever we were on the East Coast of the United States, we would find the nearest Bible-believing church and go. The old dart on a map. Yeah. Sure. That, and we enjoy that trick, uh -huh. actually. So we ended up at this Baptist church, and, you know, someone comes up and introduces themselves to us. And, um, you know, what are you new to town? They're asking those kinds of questions. And Roger said, no, we're just driving through on our way to the beach. And then the man proceeds to go off about the beach people who, like, block his way. We're in a little tiny. <laughs> town in the middle of nowhere and he can't get across the main street on Sundays to get to church because all of us beach people um, block his way. You know what I mean? So we've been to churches where we have been incredi felt incredibly uninvited and unwelcomed, you know? Um, but it's just so fun to meet other people who are part of that church universal. That's right. It know? is. We were up in Massachusetts for uh, 10 days. And so two Sundays, we sought out one little church because um, there wasn't much up there in terms of an evangelical, mm -hmm. went to this one church. Uh, it was, it was sad. <laughs> it was, it was uh, yeah, it was, but they were, they were followers of Jesus and you could sense it there. Yeah. It wasn't that friendly, you know, it was a, there's minor 50 people there, but it was still the body of Christ. And then the next week, we were in a much more dynamic church, growing church, a lot of young families and and dynamic older people that were leaders. And it was it the two were night and day different, but they were the same because they were blood bought, yeah. purchased yeah. by the shed blood. And, of and there's always something you could like. I learned that church the, the the music leader did one of the things I thought was really cool. He goes, "Hey, this is a hymn that we don't sing, and you guys don't know." But like a lot of those hymns have similar meters. So he said, so we're going to sing these words to the tune of Be Thou My Vision because these words are really important and valuable. And that like struck my heart as a musician and as a worshiper. And I'm like, someday I want to do that. Someday I want to find a hymn that has really, really great words that our people can hear the tune and can engage with and will really pay attention to those words. So as you do that and as you seek out other believers and you see how God has moved them and is moving in their life, it's an encouragement yeah. to you. You know? Which is a third thing I would bring out for our FBC people is that um, as you come on Sunday morning and you're going to be around people that you don't know, you don't know their names, go ahead and get outside your comfort zone, but introduce yourself, be free to um, um, uh, invite them into your, to the a level of comfort you can into your circle a little bit. And uh, that's a, a very practical way, I think, of valuing the body of Christ. If you see somebody in a hallway or in the foyer, go ahead, go up to them, introduce yourself to them, welcome them. They may have been here 10 years. You may have been here one month, 
but go ahead and, and do that. That's I am, value. I am amazed how often um, I will do that. And I think I know people. I've been here a long time. I think I've engaged with the body. And I'll walk up to someone and I'll say, I'm not sure I've met you yet. They'll chat with me and they've been going here for 10 or 12 years and I have never seen them. There was one one lady I met earlier this summer and we just had a delightful conversation and they had been here for, I don't know, six or seven years and they were getting ready to move to South Carolina. And it made me really sad because here I could have been her friend for six or seven years and I literally met her right before they moved to another state. So anyway. You know, what is it they say <laughs> that your circle of acquaintances is, can be much, not much more than 50. So, you know, here's a church of 1,500, 2,000, 2,500, if everybody came. Well, you're not going to have be able to, mm -hmm. but you still can go up and introduce yourself, engage in a conversation, and maybe pick up some things, point them to a community, uh, the wall map, or, you know, encourage them in some way. It's never a wasted conversation. And I think that's another way of showing the, the, the body of Christ. Smaller, smaller groups of people can make people palatable. You know, it's easy. Mm -hmm. you, you could decide to serve in, in youth ministry, for example, and get to know 40 to 45 youth volunteers over the course of a year. That, that, that can't happen on a Sunday morning. So it's clearly there's opportunities all over the place. Uh, Rose, before I get us out of here, yeah. any announcements, anything you want to point to? Oh, well, I, I, of course, I, of course, want to talk about choir and orchestra because yes. I'm very, very excited about them. I'm very excited what I see the Lord doing in those two ministries. And um, if you are... If, here's a plug for the Fellowship Family Facebook group. If you are not on the Fellowship Family Facebook group, you really should join that Facebook group because there is so many times people are people are looking for babysitters for their kids. People are looking for um, service opportunities. People will comment on Mark's sermon. People will, will put art up there related to Mark's sermon. People will just say encouraging words there. So I've been posting some things about how meaningful it can be to be part of a musical ensemble when you're leading worship. And so I just encourage everybody, if you can play an instrument or you like to sing, then you should come join us because we are having a lot of fun. We we spend time in God's word. We get to hear from Mike Lucan's heart directly about worship and why worship is important. Um, and we get to laugh a lot. So That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. One thing I just want to point people towards as well, the youth ministry year kicks off tomorrow with the youth kickoffs. We're excited for that. The kids will get all their small groups. They'll meet the volunteers and then we'll launch the season. So we have a fall retreat coming up September 15th through 17th. That registration is now live for 7th through 12th grade students. So feel free to reach out to me or our youth team. Uh, a lot of exciting things starting, I know, across the board here at FBC. So please don't hesitate to go to fbcva.org uh, for more information. The fact of the matter, everybody, is that sermons are not meant to just take an hour, but rather transform. Until next week, much love. God bless.